be in Isaiah. Isaiah 1 is where you can start. Isaiah, just a little background on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a major prophet. It's not one of the, it's not called major prophet because it's better, that he's smarter, that he was better at prophesying than the minor prophets. It's more called major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are called the major prophets because they have the most content in them. For example, the minor prophets, there's 12 books in, to, in all together, there's 66 chapters. Isaiah itself has 66 chapters. So that's why it's major versus minor. In reality, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm correct, the references in the New Testament, the amount of references in the New Testament to the minor and major prophets, the minor prophets outweigh the major prophets more than, I think it's almost like a little bit more than double or something right around double. Um, so they're not outweighed. There's just the major prophet because there's a lot of content in it. Now, Jeremiah, both Jeremiah and Isaiah were preaching while there were kings on the throne in um, Jerusalem and in Israel. I, Ezekiel and Daniel were actually whenever they went into exile. During Jeremiah's time, actually towards the end of his time, that was whenever Israel went into exile. All this is important because I want to make a picture for you of where the, the kingdom of Judah was whenever we start off in Isaiah 1. So I'm going to read verse 1 of Isaiah, then I'm going to pray again, and then we're going to um, start into the study. So Father, I, I, oh, I said I was going to read, then pray. Uh, the, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Father, we pray that this word, um, yeah, God, you just put me out of the way. You would take me out of the way, God. You've told me all week that my notes weren't what you wanted me to preach. So, God, throw my notes in the garbage and just use your Holy Spirit to speak, Father. God, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts, God, that you would give us soft hearts to receive your words, Lord. Let us not have hard heads, hard hearts, Father, but let us receive the, the word that you have for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So in, in Isaiah verse 1, Isaiah, Isaiah 1, 1, we see that there are four kings on the throne in Judah during the time of Isaiah's preaching. The very first one is Uzziah. And we're looking at the first five chapters of Isaiah. We believe that the first five chapters of Isaiah were preached during the time of Uzziah's king, possibly even the time of Jotham as king. And we'll see why here in a little bit. But we know that in chapter 6, whenever Isaiah gets his commission from the Lord, the here I am, send me verse that, that a lot of us know, we know that that was in the last year of Uz that Uzziah was alive. It was in the year that he died that he got that commission. So we believe that these first five chapters are actually during the time that Uzziah and also possibly Jotham reigned. I believe that Jotham was actually on the, on the throne during the time that, that all these happened. If you look at 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles in the life of Uzziah, Uzziah was what they called a righteous king. He did mostly things right in the Lord. Uzziah was also a strong king. He built up the kingdom of Judah to its height in power. He was a warring king. He warred and spread out, had 300,000 soldiers at his name, fortified a lot of different places. Uh, Somebody just say something? I thought somebody said that I said that wrong. Sorry. Um, 
Sorry, my fault. Um, so he had 300,000 so soldiers to his name, and he had fortified all these cities. Now, the, 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 the country of Judah in itself had this pretty unprecedented military and economic time period where they were just going up and up under Uzziah. Likewise, I want to parallel how this looks a lot like our country has looked as well. Our country just had a leader where we had a lot of military buildup and we also had economic, unprecedented, eco unprecedented economic growth. Right? We, we, we all see that. We all kind of saw that. There was all this stuff that happened. Now, Uzziah was a good king, but it also says right after it says that he was a righteous king, it says, but he did not bring down any of the idols or any of the places that were the high places or the Asherah poles. Uzziah continued to leave open the footholds and the people of Judah never repented. In the same way, in our country, we had all this growth and everything was looking kind of sort of better economically and we had this economic and military growth. And did the people repent? No. We continued in our ways. If anything, we became even more godless like the people of Judah did. Um, if you remember from last week, Pastor Tim shared how the decline of the churches happened. Since the year 2000, the church went from around 60 to 70% of people going to church to somewhere around 46 in the year 2020 before all of the pandemic happened. An independent researcher said that. And so we can see that. I think you guys can actually feel that. You can see it inside of your workplaces. You can see it in the people who you knew that used to go to church who don't go anymore. You can see it in your families. I, mean, I can see it in mine. Uzziah... This king, after he had gained all power, became very prideful. So prideful that he thought that he was God's gift to the world. He thought that he was a prince and a king and a priest built in the line of Melchizedek and decides, hey, I'm going to go and offer incense in the Holy of Holies. Now, the priest withstood him. Now, they could have, he could have easily killed all the priests there, as kings before him had, and as kings behind, after him will do. He could have refused and, and withstood them, but uh, they, they withstood him anyways. And the Lord struck Uzziah on his forehead, and he had leprosy until the day that he died. Okay? Pride in a ruler. This past guy that was our president, pride, very prideful. There's a bunch of pride going on in both of these two different places, right? Now, I believe that because, and there's a, there's a handful of scholars that also believe this, that because Uzziah was struck with leprosy, he was then no longer able to lead and be king. Now, if you had leprosy, you were unclean, you had to live outside of the city. I don't necessarily think that Uzziah had to live outside of the city, but I think that Uzziah was, had to put Jotham in place. So then their kingdoms overlapped inside of that time. So this is just background so that we can understand um, a little bit more. All right. So before we jump into our text, I just want two things to remind you about that. What does any of that really mean? What's that good for us? Well, the first thing is that you can have a good ruler, a good king, a good pastor, a good boss who tries to do things mostly like the Lord wants them to do, and the people can still choose to not repent. You can have that. 
Honestly, during Isaiah and Jeremiah's time, they had two of the best kings that Judah had ever had. Hezekiah and Josiah, who were both reformers. They cleansed the country of all of the Asherah poles. They got rid of the, all of the altars and all this stuff. But Jeremiah and Isaiah preach all of this stuff and have all of these prophecies during their, their reigns because the people never repent. Let's not be like those people. The second thing that I want you to know and see from that is that if you leave a foothold, then the devil's going to take it. If you have a crack in the dam and a little bit of water is going out, then all the water is going to rush through and it's going to break that dam. If you give the devil an inch, then he's going to take a mile. If you give him a mile, then he's going to take your entire life. And we see that in this, in this passage as well. Uzziah is the king. He's a good king, a strong king. 16 years later, just 16 years later, Israel, uh, Judah had been basically decimated. Lost all their wars. This northern kingdom had attacked them and taken stuff from them. Other kings had attacked them and taken stuff from them. All the things that Uzziah had stretched out are now collapsed back in. And they're on every side being beat up. Why? Because they didn't repent and come back to the Lord. I think in the same way, this really mirrors our current country. And that's why our message for the, our title for the day is a word from the past, but for today. Because it mirrors in a lot of different ways. Let's take a look at verse 2 and 3. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. So this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah to the the Israelites. Children have I reared up and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So here we have the Lord saying to Isaiah, he says, hey, you are my children. You are in the promised land. You have already received the promise of a land, of a place to be your own. The thing that I gave to Abraham, the thing that I gave to Isaac, the thing that I gave to Jacob, the thing that I said to Moses, the thing that I said to Joshua, and so on and so forth. You guys are already living in the promised land. You've already received the promise. All you have to do now is follow me, right? And here we are, children, that have been brought up who don't know our Father. The Israelites are rebelling against God. What is rebellion? Rebellion is whenever, there's a, uh, whenever you're told to do something and you don't do it. That's like my son. I say, baby, go clean your room. And he says, nope. And I'm like, oh no, you didn't, rebellious little boy. <laughs> Makes that Cawthorn's fuse go up like that real quick. Get red in the face. In the same way, God is here telling them, you don't know your place. You don't know your father. You don't know who you're supposed to be. And he even degrades them a little bit more. He says, donkeys know their master. Oxes know their master. Donkeys even know the baby of the master. But here you guys, you don't know. You don't understand. You've forgotten. Israel, a nation planted, a people chosen by God. America, a nation planted, what we've thought, a people chosen 
by God. I can't tell you how many times we have said, well, in God we trust. We are a nation that is made up of mostly believers. We really love God in this country. There are people that left other countries to come to this country to find freedom. There are still people today who are leaving places like Iran and Iraq to come to America to worship freely their God. But honestly, we've become a country that's forgotten our master We've become a church. Let's make it more personal. We've become a church that's forgotten our master. We've become people that have forgotten our master. We've decided that we like being our own masters, doing our own things. We don't understand that our God is the one who wants us. Let's take a look at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, Offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. And they are utterly estranged. I'll give you an example of that. Come to Ezekiel 14. We're going to look at the first five verses in Ezekiel 14. Israel's in this perpetual state of rebellion, perpetual state of rebelling against God. Some elders come to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. says, Certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. They sat before Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And he said, Son of God, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. Does that sound familiar? That sounds so much like our country right now. These people, we have taken our idols into our hearts. We don't just set them up on a shelf and say, hey, that's an idol. No, we've taken it into our heart. Men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? This is God asking. Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Anyone of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the, comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of idols that I may lay hold of his hearts of his house of Israel because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Now, an estranged person, whenever we estrange ourselves, we kind of sort of set ourselves up like Thomas Jefferson. I don't know if you guys knew Thomas Jefferson had his own Bible. He took the Bible, he cut out different passages they didn't like, he threw them to the, part, to, to the side, pasted it together, and made his own Bible. We, as a church, we as believers do the same exact thing. Well, I don't really like that part. That part's really mean. As let's not read any of these major prophets and minor prophets because there's a, they're really doom and gloom. I don't really like doom and gloom. I like to stay on the, on the happy fairies and unicorns and rainbow side and sunshines. That's always my favorite. That's all. Let's, let's get uplifted by the Lord. But honestly, to be uplifted, you have to know that you're downtrodden, brother and sister. And so here we've got this situation where Israel had done the same thing. In Ezekiel, we see that these guys have had these, these idols and they've taken them into their heart. They've said, these idols are my God. These idols are what I need. These idols are the thing that I have to hold on to. And they become estranged. Now, whenever you become estranged, you slowly fade away. 
right? Now, here's the thing about being estranged. Whenever you become estranged, you begin to point back to the real God and say, well, it's your fault that I'm estranged. God, it's your fault that I'm estranged. You're the one that's done this. That's usually what estranged people do in any situation. They point the finger at someone else or something else without ever realizing their own iniquity and repenting from it. So this is where we find Israel. This is also where we find our own country. This is where we find most of our country today. This is where we probably even find ourselves here in this church this morning. Estranged from God. We've chosen ourselves. We've chosen our own wealth, our own jobs, our own prosperity. We've chosen our boat. We've chosen our, our lake house that we really want to get. We've chosen our house. We've chosen our children. And we've put those idols in our hearts. But I'll tell you, brother and sister, God wants your heart. <laughs> that is all that he wants is your heart. And he will not relent until he gets your heart. Verses 5 and 6. Why will you be struck down? Do you hear God's love? Do you hear his love to the Israelites here? Why will you be struck down? There's a time whenever someone comes to you and they say, don't do that. And there's a time when someone comes to you and they have tears in their eyes and they say, don't do it. Don't do it, brother. Please, don't do it. I hear these verses. I hear God with tears in his eyes saying, why? Why will you be struck down? Why are you choosing these things? Why will you continue to rebel, Judah, my son, my daughter that I love, the country that I've reared up? Why? It's because the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot and even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. You ever been in a situation where you're talking to somebody and they're making destructive decisions and you can see the physical and the spiritual hurt on them and the emotional hurt on them and you're telling them, you're saying, quit walking through the briars. Every time you do, they cut you. Quit running through the, or rolling around the rocks. Every time you do, they bruise you. And you're talking with that friend, that brother, that sister, and you're saying, stop, please, please, there's a better way. This is what God's saying to Israel. This is what he's also saying to America. Why are you hurting yourself? Why do you continue down this path, brother and sister? Why do you continue to rebel? The whole head, the mind, is sick. The whole heart, the emotions, is faint. The whole feet, the actions, yeah, they have no soundness in them. Our country, in all those ways, you can see the, the, the decisions that our leaders are making. And you're like, wait, 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 did a four-year-old make that decision? I don't understand. Of course that person's going to backstab you. Of course they're not going to believe that. Of course. You're like, don't, aren't you guys like highly educated from the head, but also all the way down to the bottom? then we make those same exact decisions in smaller ways, but we can point our fingers at the head and say, oh, it's you. Our church is no different. How many of our leaders in the past two years have been exposed for their sin? 
How many people have left the church because they chose their own sin? How many people have left a church that loved Jesus because their sin was exposed and they chose not to repent? Brother and sister, this morning, Jesus is telling you that He wants you to repent. He wants to bind up your wounds. Read this last part. But bruised and sword and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. The wounds are just gaping and they're getting infected. And what happens with an infection? If it keeps on forever, you get gangrene. After you get gangrene, what do you have to do? You got to cut it off. And reality is, is that God is saying, brother and sister, let me heal you. Judah, let me heal you. America, let me heal you before you're cut off. Let's look at verse 7. Actually, before we get into that, I have one more illustration for you. This past week, we did, um, we, had, we were teaching the middle school, the middle ground. And as we were teaching the middle ground, we did this activity called the circle of blessing. And we had this circle on the ground, and we told the, some of the middle school students to stand in the middle of the circle. And we had a water bottle and said, if you step outside of the circle of blessing, then you get sprayed with the danger. The water bottle was danger. So the kids really, really loved that. They loved to spray themselves with the, <laughs> spray each other with the water bottle. They were, they were saying, can I, can I spray so-and-so? Can I spray so-and-so? And I was like, ah, okay, you know, <laughs> right, we'll do that. That's fine. You, you, can, you guys can do it together. And then we read off these different um, situations, you know, a situation about stealing stuff at a store. And if your mom and dad said, do not, we were going over Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents. Now, we also went over Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not stir up your children to wrath. Now, all the kids, all they could remember was Ephesians 6, 4 at the end of it for some reason. They couldn't remember Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents. I heard most of them come up and say, hey, mom and dad, you know what we learned today? We learned that you shouldn't stir us up to wrath. And then I heard mom and dad say, yeah, but right before that it says, obey your parents and I want to stir you up to wrath. And the, in the same way, in the same way, we did that. We did these different these different activities where we would say, if you go to the store, Bobby went to the store. Bobby stole. Bobby saw um, chips, and he was really hungry for chips. Mom and Dad said, "Don't buy chips from the store. You need to buy. You need to get chips from home because it's expensive at the store." But Bobby decided, "Well, I don't have any money, so I'm just going to take it and stick it in my pocket." Was Bobby inside of the circle of blessing? And they would say no, and then somebody would have to step outside the circle of blessing and shoot them with a water bottle a bunch, and they'd step back into the circle of blessing. And then we would talk about, well, what happens if Bobby continues down that path? What was the thing? And across the board, across from all of our different uh, scenarios that we put out there, they all said one thing that was very interesting to me. One step out of the circle of blessing allows you to continue going away from the circle of blessing. And here we've got, and I thought that was very profound from these guys. I thought they were very smart. Um, not that they were like running around the room shooting each other with water bottles and stuff. Not as smart as I would say. But, they, but their ideas were super real. Because as we step out of the blessing of obedience to the Lord, it's easier for us to just keep, keep going down that path. How many of us know, yeah, I just started with one cigarette on that day. Just started with that one drink on that day. It started with that one text message or that one time I looked at that website or it started with that one time that I decided not to say this or do this. It always starts with something and then you can snowball out of control. And that's basically what we're seeing 
Judah at this point in time. We're seeing it snowball out of control. So God's pronouncing on his people what's going on. A bring in revelation. Let's go into verse 7. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It's desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard. The lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. They had started re-encroaching on him. Uzziah's outward expansion has now been brought back in. All of their enemies are coming against them. The cities that they, had, that they had built up, they had started being caught on fire. In the same way, if you looked at, our, at Pastor Tim's message last week, if you were here, if you listened to it, if you looked at any of the things he said, all of our enemies are against us right now. They are all facing us and encroaching closer and closer onto our country. That's just reality. Also, the church is getting encroached and encroached and encroached upon. There's a documentary that came out this week, Hillsong Exposed, another encroaching on the church, not endorsing anything that Hillsong's done, but let's just defame the church, let's break the church down as much as we can, because we got to get that Jesus out of here. That's what verse 8 is saying. The daughter of Zion is like a booth in the middle of grapes. All the grapes are against the booth. Same thing, a, st- a stall, lodge, in the middle of a cucumber field. All the cucumbers are out there, and there's just this one little lodge there. That's what was going on in Israel. That's kind of sort of what's going on here in America right now. Go back to verse 7. We're not here yet in verse 7, fully. There aren't these foreign countries coming in and devouring us and destroying us, but we're doing a really good job ourselves of setting our cities on fire. We don't necessarily need don't necessarily need that to happen where the foreigners come in and do it. You know, the, the, the country of Judah at this point in time, they were so complacent that they did not care that they were divided from Israel. Ten tribes north, two tribes south. They didn't care. Do you think that God loved that? No, he didn't. It was because of their rebellion. Let's take a look at verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Sodom, Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's comparing them to two, church, to two countries, that are two cities that he wiped off the face of the earth. Why did he wipe them off the face of the earth? It's because of their sin. It's because of their blaspheming of God. But even more than that, it was because of their sexual deviance. We have a word, sodomize. We know what that word means. It comes from these countries. There's a part where Lot is sitting there. He could not find ten righteous people. Abraham's praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, if you find this many, this many righteous people, this many righteous people, this many righteous people, if you find ten righteous people, God, would you save them? God didn't find a single righteous person in them. I personally believe that Lot and his family weren't necessarily righteous in themselves, but it was God that showed love and kindness to Abraham that brought them out. Although sometimes, somewhere in the scriptures does say righteous Lot. So maybe I'm wrong. Forgive me for that if I misspoke. But we see this sexual deviancies going on. And even inside of, that, inside of those places, they lifted up this sexual deviancy. 
It wasn't like it was just a small thing. Oh, you know, you can go and do your own thing, live your own truth. No, it was lifted up. And in our country right now, brothers and sisters, we are lifting up sexual deviancy as the highest form of righteousness. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you understand that, if you see that. Mm -hmm. If you know it, you've seen it in your workplace. You've seen it inside of your schools. I mean, we're seeing where where they're trying to force it on a five-year-old that they need to teach that five-year-old that he's not a boy or a girl, that he's something else, and he needs to figure out his own thing. We are lifting this stuff up. And brother and sister, it is sad. I love, I love the folk that are LGBTQ. Jesus loves them. He loves them and he wants them to know him and he wants them to live a life of fullness in him because all the things that they're trying right now are an attempt for them to find fullness apart from Jesus. Just like each one of us who put idols in our heart are trying to find fullness apart from Jesus. But here we got Israel doing the same thing. Here we've got our country doing the same thing. There's parallels going on here. All right, so now you're reading this. You're like, okay, well, this all sounds like people outside the church. You keep saying the church, and you keep referencing the church, but all these things that I'm hearing right now are all people outside of the church. We don't really have sexual deviancy in here. We don't really have sexual immorality in here. You know, that's, we're, we're, we're following Jesus. We're good, right? Let's take a look at verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to peer before me, who is required, to, required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Now, I want you to know, who was the one that said that they needed to have altars? God did. Who's the one that told them they needed to sacrifice rams and goats? God did. Who's the one that told them that they had regular feasts that they needed to do? God did. But we see that the Israelites here, the Judeans, are profaning all that stuff. Why? Because he doesn't have their hearts. Psalm 51, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, not Isaiah, David has just cheated or uh, just had an affair with Bathsheba. He's killed Uriah, her husband. Nathan has come and spoken to him. The prophet Nathan's come and spoken to him and showed him the folly of his ways. He pins Psalm 51. So he's asking for repentance here. And this is what David said. For you will not delight in sacrifices or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He wants your heart, church. All that he wants is your heart. Because he knows that if he has your heart, then he'll have all of the rest of you. Where your heart is, 
There your treasures are going to be. That's where your mouth is going to be. That's where your speech is going to be. That's where your feet are going to lead you. Well, that pretty girl over there, I'm going to run over there after her. That good-looking man over there, I'm going to run over there after him because I have him in my heart. Same thing with our idols. Whether our idols are us, our idols are our kids, our idols are our dreams. Our idols are just idols. They're false gods. We're going to run after them. And so we see here in Judah, they have all of these iniquities, but they're still running through the notions, the motions. They're still doing all the things that God's told them to do. They're still sacrificing goats. You know what? For a lot of those people, to sacrifice a goat or a ram or a bull is a sacrifice. They are having to spend their money to buy it, to bring it, to do it. So they're even throwing their money at stuff. But they don't care. They're running through the motions. Uh, does that sound a lot like our country at this point in time? Religious? Ask most people. Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. You go to church? No, nah, I don't go to church anymore. You read your Bible? No, nah, I don't read the Bible anymore. You do that? No, nah, I don't. So why are you a Christian? Well, I, I, I was born that way. My mom and dad took me to church when I was little. Oh, okay. You ask people in the church. Hey, brother, sister, you saved? Yeah, 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 yeah. What did you do on Saturday night? Ah, I partied. I was out, man. I was out late. I was doing a lot of late things Saturday night. I probably shouldn't talk about it in church. We can talk about it outside the building, though. How many of us run through that motion? I'm going to give 99% of my time to the things that I want, the things that I desire. I'm going to give one little sliver of 1% to God. I will come in here on a Sunday, and I'll be here. It better be a 45-minute to an hour and 15-minute service. If it goes over that hour and 15 minutes, I'm not going to be able to make it to Bojangles. I'm going to be upset, and I'm not going back to that church. Oh, he's preaching on things that I don't want to hear? Well, I'm not going to be there anymore. He's preaching the Word of God? No way. We better be in some other type of book. I want to read self-helps one, two, three. I want to feel all warm and fuzzy inside. The cool thing is that God does make you warm and fuzzy inside as He gives you, as you give Him your heart. Yes, 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 yes. As you give Him your heart, He transforms you and He changes you from the inside out. And all the warm and fuzzies come. Oh. <laughs> He's tired of our lip service. His soul hates. His soul hates. Just let that sit for a second. So it's a lot of uh, heavy stuff, right? It's a lot of doom and gloom. We don't like to read the old, the old prophets because they are doom and gloom. But I would... I meant to say this earlier and I forgot. I would tell you that the old prophets are not doom and gloom. They're revealing... Revelation and repentance is what all of the old prophets do. There's a revealing, like this first part of Isaiah 1, a revealing, this is where your heart is. Reveal it to you. I'm going to bring revelation to you now that this is you. Now here's the call to repentance. But before we get there, I want you to see what happens if we don't turn back. Verse 15. When you spread out your hands... I'll hide my eyes from you. When you're worshiping, I'll hide my eyes from you. When you ask for me, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I won't listen. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Brothers and sisters, your iniquities, your being far from Him, 
the small little things that you think don't really matter, that really do matter, that break the whole dam, the idols that you've hid in your heart, He will not answer your prayers. Now, don't get me wrong. God is in the answer, the prayer answering business. That's why whenever we read that Ezekiel 14 verse, it says, even though they come with their idols, if they come to me, I will speak to them. So if you come with a broken and contrite heart, guess what God's going to do? He's going to take that idol out of your heart. He's going to throw it as far as he can, and he's going to deal with you. But you have to be willing to let him deal. Are you with me this morning? Yes. All right. So let's get into some of the, the good. Verse, 17, verse 16. Hear the, the love of Jesus in this moment. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Most of us have to learn it because we're just evil creatures. Yes. You know, I mean, what, where, where is it where it says, um, no, there's not one righteous in Romans. No, there's not one righteous. No, not one. Right. None of us are righteous. Our righteousness is filthy rags. We have to learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. We have to seek it out. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the, call, the widow's cause. All right, now can you do that on your own? No, that's why Jesus gave us verse 18. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. This is what I want from you. But I, you have to come to me. Come to me because though your sins are like scarlet, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them. They shall be white as snow. I will make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. When you come to him, if you come to him, will you come to him, United States? Will you come to him, church? Will you come to him, fill in the blank with your exact name? Will you come to him? Because then he will wash you. The word repent means to choose to turn away. Okay? To choose to turn away. You have to make the choice to turn away. But repentance is actually a gift from God. Alright, so we've got a gift from God that you choose to turn away from. So is it sovereign God? Is it free choice? Is it something else? Yeah. It is a sovereign God who gives you the gift of conviction through His Holy Spirit. Then you respond to the gift of conviction and you repent and turn away from it. That He's given you through His strength and His power. He's calling us this morning, brothers and sisters. He's calling us. Will you respond to it? Verse 19 says, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So if we respond, we wash ourselves with the blood of Jesus Christ, we repent and turn away and fill ourselves with Him, then He will give us the good of the land. Now, doesn't mean that you're going to build an ivory tower. You're going to have your tower of Babel up there. Doesn't mean everybody's going to live in a castle. Now remember, this is Israel. There's only one king. Only that one king's living in, in his tower. But the people are able to live the, eat the good of the land. You will have food. Why? Because you're better than a sparrow. 
You're better than a bird. That's one of Jesus' things. You will have clothes. Why? Because you're better than a flower. It says grass has flowers and not even a single person in all of its splendor, Solomon in all of its splendor is prettier than them. And birds, they don't worry about where they're going to get their food from. Where'd they get it from? God takes care of them. And you are ultimately way, way, way more important to God than birds and grass. So you will have the good of the land. It's a promise if you're willing and obedient. Now, let me say this. There's a difference between, I talk a lot about obedience. There's a big thing about obedience. But there's a difference between begrudging submission and faithful obedience. In the beginning of Romans, in the end of Romans, in chapter 1 and then chapter whatever the end of it is, 13. I should probably look that up. I said the same thing last time. Um, Romans, hold on, give me a second. 13 or 14, 15, 16. There you go, Romans 16. In the greeting and in the, greeting and in the ending, Paul says, your faithful obedience or your obedience of faith. That's what he says, obedience of faith. Anything not done in faith is sin. So you're being obedient to your faith in Jesus Christ. Why am I doing these things? Because I love Jesus. Because he's called me to himself. So if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But here's, here's reality though. Let's look at verse 20 and we'll end on this verse. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's word to today. God's word to Judah then. Judah was eaten by the sword, ultimately. They were eaten by the sword. It wasn't until 1948, am I right, that they became a country again? So that's a long time where they were under someone's thumb. They went into exile. They came back from exile, but they were still never their own people ever again. Until now. Why? Because of their rebellion. Because of their idolatry. We're right here on the same situation, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Our country is. Our churches are. Mm-hmm. Our families are. I'm going to talk to families because families are the smallest church. <coughs> We're on that edge where God is saying, be willing and obedient and you shall eat the good of the land. Follow me. Do what I'm telling you to do. Love me. Get the idols out of your hearts. But if you refuse, if you refuse, you shall be eaten by the sword. Yeah, you'll be eaten by the sword. And that's not fun. There's two choices for us this morning. We can fall on the rock and be broken and be given that broken and contrite heart, broken and contrite spirit. Or we can lay on the ground and be crushed by the rock of Jesus Christ. Those are the only two options. So my question for us this morning is, will we repent? Will we turn back to this God, this Father, the one who made us and reared us up? Will we go back to Him? Or will we come to Him for the first time? Because many in Israel at that time were coming, would have come to him for the first time. They were children that were grown up in iniquity. Estranged from God. Will you turn back? Back to this Father. So that he can cleanse you. 
so that He can bring you your scarlet to wool like white. Yeah, like wool, like white wool. Or will you continue in your rebellion? Let me pray for us. Father God, I just come to you right now and I, I, I thank you that your word is clear. God, I thank you that your word speaks across time, God. Um, 2,500, 2,800, I have no clue how many years, Lord, but this word is so clear and so true today in our country, in our place, Lord, as it was then. So God, I just pray that we would repent, that we would come to know you, Father. I just want to ask anybody at this point in time, do you need to repent? Is there repentance that needs to happen? Do you need to turn and come to this Father so that He can wash your crimson stains away and make you white, white as snow? If you do, if you feel like that's something that the Lord's leading you to this morning, I'd, I'd love for you to just raise your hand so that we can pray for you, so that we can be there for you in this time. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, give Him your life. Lord, we just ask that you would Raise your hand right now. If there's anybody online, if there's anybody outside in the courtyard or anywhere else as well, you can also. Now, for most of us in this room, the second question is the bigger question. Hebrews 6 says that for any of us who have tasted and seen and known the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ and have turned away, there is no other sacrifice. There's nothing else that's going to save you. The only thing that you can do is return back to that Jesus because He is the sacrifice. He is the only one. If you feel like you have some idols in your heart that you need to give up this morning, feel like you have some idols in your heart that you need to give so that you can give your broken and contrite heart back to Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand. We'd love to pray with you this morning. We'd love to see you. I see those hands. Yeah, we just want to pray with you. We want to see you free in Jesus' name. If you would, just pray with me. Lord, you are the Lord of our lives. You are the king of this earth. You're the God of this city. You're the God of this church. You're the God of these people, Lord. And we just declare that you are our king that you are our God. Lord, would you hold us steadfast in you, Lord? God, we entrust our lives to you. We entrust the deposit that we have to you. Lord, would you take that deposit and bring it all the way to fruition? Jesus, because we need it. We know that we're going to fail. We know that we fail over and over and over again, God, but we know that you are able to keep that which we entrust to you until the day of Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who just raise their hand, who have put idols in their hearts. God, I pray that you would take them out right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. Let them cast them to you and follow after you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would bring them to this obedience, this obedience of faith. And let them walk in the obedience of faith to 
wash themselves, to make themselves clean, to remove all the evil deeds from before your eyes, to cease to do evil, to learn to do justice, to seek justice, correcting oppression, bringing justice to the fatherless, and pleading the cause of the widows. God, I just ask for that in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray that your spirit, as we burn on the altar for you, God, that your spirit would cleanse us of all impurities. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.